0: Happy New Year and I hope you all had a lovely Christmas. Welcome to the first CMS Pensions Lawcast of 2021. This lawcast is aimed at providing you with an update on the pensions issues we can expect to be focusing on this coming year, though full disclosure, this recording was made just before the festive season. I'm joined on this lawcast by Joanna Clark and Doyen Oleg-Bamika. Joanna is going to start by providing an update on where we are in relation to the Pension Schemes Act. I'll then be looking at what we can expect on DB funding, particularly against the backdrop of COVID and Brexit. Doyen will then take you through what we expect to see in relation to commercial consolidators, equalisation for the effect of GMPs and scheme investment and governance. I'll now hand over to Joanna. Thanks, Caroline.
1: Well, there are lots of reasons to look forward to 2021, and for us pensions lawyers at least, this includes the long-awaited Pension Schemes Act 2020. I say Act, although at the time of recording, and as we've just said, we're a week before Christmas and we're actually waiting to see if the Pension Schemes Bill will, as promised, receive royal assent this week. I'm assuming, though, that the Act has now passed, and in the spirit of the season, hopefully you can forgive me if I've been proved wrong. Now, the Act is one of the most wide-ranging pieces of pensions legislation that we've had for some time. And whilst we await detail in regulation and guidance, it will change behaviours. I'm going to focus on the most talked about aspect, expanded regulator powers in the context of DB schemes. But for more, please do check out our CMS guide to the Pension Schemes Act. This covers all elements of the legislation in an online evolving document, and we'll be keeping it updated as the detail emerges. First up, contribution notices. Well, the Act introduces two further grounds on which TPR can issue a contribution notice, so requiring an immediate payment into a scheme. The new tests focus on situations where there's a reduction in employer covenant and can be issued against those connected or associated with a scheme employer, so potentially major shareholders, parent companies, company directors. Firstly, we've got the new employer insolvency test. And this is engaged for activities that materially reduce the likely recovery of a section 75 debt on employer insolvency the second new test is the employer resources test and here there's an activity which materially reduces an employer's resources now we're awaiting codes of practice but the broad wording has got some rattled as these tests may be triggered by what many would perceive as normal behavior for example types of restructuring or a sponsoring employer paying a dividend could trigger these tests Now, helpfully, there is a statutory defence, but this is only available if it's considered in advance of the activity. And it requires the employer to have taken all reasonable steps to make inquiries as to the effect on the scheme. And if the effect is negative, they have to take steps to mitigate the impact. Now, the provisions do not have immediate effect, but it's not been clear whether the new test may apply retrospectively, and if so, from when. So for all corporates, planning ahead is going to be vital building in time to your project plans to consider impacts of activities and any mitigations for your scheme. Advice will be needed and keeping a thorough paper trail will also be important. Moving on to the expanded information gathering powers. Well, firstly, the Act introduces a new obligation to provide information to the regulator and trustees where there are certain events in relation to the employer. These are being referred to as a declaration of intent and the aim is to provide early notice of corporate transactions which might adversely affect a scheme. Again, we're awaiting regulations, but it's likely that this will cover events such as the sale of a controlling interest in an employer or the granting of security and priority to the pension scheme. The statement itself will likely include a description of the event, the adverse effect on the scheme and any mitigations, and information on the communications with the trustees. Secondly, the regulator's investigation powers are being strengthened. So its powers to call people for interview are being extended Until now, this power has been limited for auto enrolment and DC master trust matters, but it will now be able to intervene in relation to any of its functions and ask any type of question relevant to it. The regulator will also be able to inspect premises without a warrant in more circumstances, and this will include in suspected moral hazard cases. Now, to support the new investigation powers, there are also new sanctions. The regulator will be able to issue penalties of up to £50,000 for non compliance with information gathering powers. And there'll be an escalating penalty for continued non compliance of up to £10,000 a day. There will also be a penalty of up to £1 million where a person knowingly or recklessly provides false or misleading information to the regulator or separately to the trustees. For information given to the regulator, this covers things including in scheme returns and notifiable event reports. But it will also apply more generally if it's known or reasonably expected that the information will be used by the regulator in relation to its functions. And finally, turning to the new criminal offences. The Act introduces five new offences and the two most significant are the avoidance of employer death and conduct risking accrued scheme benefits. An individual is liable for an unlimited fine and up to seven years imprisonment. Both of these offences can apply to any person, so the net is cast really wide and it could potentially cover not only employers and directors, but also trustees, advisors, investors and bank lenders. The avoidance of employer debt offence will arise if there's an act or failure to act that prevents a Section 75 debt being recovered or becoming due. The act must be intentional and without reasonable excuse. An example here might be structuring a sale to avoid a Section 75 debt being triggered. So that's pretty normal behaviour in most corporate transactions. Other routine behaviour, such as entering a debt apportionment arrangement, could fall within this offence. The second offence is conduct risking accrued scheme benefits. And this will arise if there's an act that detrimentally affects, in a material way, the likelihood of accrued scheme benefits being received by members. There'll be an offence if the person knew or should have known that the act would have that effect, and they did not have a reasonable excuse for doing it. This offence is particularly wide, and it could include something as routine as changes in the employer's business model or moving an employer out of the jurisdiction. Other normal business activities might be caught too, such as restructuring to avoid an insolvency or borrowing to fund working capital. There's therefore going to be a greater need for advice and record keeping before taking decisions and engaging in corporate activity, especially if there's a risk of a negative impact on the pension scheme. We are awaiting regulator guidance before we can determine whether the without reasonable excuse defence will be helpful. The government has previously indicated that the offences will not be brought into into force until that guidance has been produced, so we all remain alert for further news. And at that point I'll hand over to Caroline to talk about scheme funding in
0: 2021. Thanks Jo. The anticipated changes to funding have followed a long and winding road in recent times most recent changes going as far back as 2018. By way of brief background, the government issued its white paper protecting defined benefit pension schemes two years ago now, and that identified areas which were in need of improvement. And since then, we've had the usual issue of annual funding statements with increased focus on long-term funding targets. The first consultation on the new DB code of practice on scheme funding, which drew to a close after an extension in September of 2020, the Pension Schemes Act provisions on funding, and we've also had TPR's DB scheme funding and investment guidance for COVID-19. This has reflected an evolving approach by TPR to issues such as requests to defer deficit contributions and monitoring employer covenants. The second consultation, which we can expect in mid-2021, We'll focus on the drafting of the code itself, and I'll talk a little more about the anticipated content in a moment. According to the latest intelligence we have, TPR is expecting the funding code to be pushed back further into 2021. TPR identified eight key principles in its initial consultation, which are designed to underpin all scheme valuations. Most interesting of which was the concept of a long-term objective. And that concept flows through the Pension Schemes Act and the consultation on the funding code. We think this is where the interesting discussions will be in the 2021 valuations. I want to look now briefly at the new funding requirements in the Pensions Act for DB schemes because we anticipate that trustees and employers will have an eye to these requirements even before they formally come into force if they have a valuation proceeding through 2021. In a nutshell, the Act requires DB schemes to set a long-term funding and investment target And will be required to increase their technical provisions over time to ensure that their long-term target is met by the time they are significantly mature. The requirements set out in the Pension Schemes Act are likely to mean that most corporate sponsors will need to pay more into their DB scheme quicker than previously anticipated, so it's going to be interesting to see how the new Act will impact negotiations between employers and trustees, especially given the backdrop of COVID-19 and Brexit. As you know, the government's furlough scheme is expected to come to an end in March, and some predict this will be the moment the economic downturn we have all anticipated will really start to bite. So, if there are schemes that are completing their valuations after this date, then employers just may not have the funds to pay into the scheme as they once did. In light of an expected economic downturn, we're likely to see sponsors offering contingent assets as an alternative to cash, And we're also seeing fresh energy being channelled into the development of new structures in the market to provide the cash required to meet these higher funding targets in mature schemes, but avoiding the risk of a trapped surplus on wind-up. Indeed, with the constraint on cash for many businesses, we're seeing a focus on trapped surplus on an ongoing basis too. So what can we expect from the second consultation on DB funding, and how will that impact valuations in the second half of the year? We know now that there's a twin track approach being proposed which is aimed at providing a route for trustees and employers that provides clearer expectations on targets and funding and if met reduces the scrutiny by tpr of that particular scheme the alternative is a much more labor intensive process for trustees employers and regulators these routes are the fast track and the bespoke track respectively in respect of the fast track route the second consultation should lay down the parameters in more detail for trustees to follow to understand whether their valuation will achieve the necessary standards. In contrast, trustees who follow the bespoke route will be expected to articulate their position and decisions, but also provide tangible evidence to support their valuation outcome. Schemes will also have to demonstrate that the result is the same or better than the fast track or how any additional risk is being managed and supported. We expect the second consultation to provide guidance as to the type of evidence that will be acceptable and what TPR deem as an acceptable bespoke valuation. The first consultation was published prior to the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it may be that due to the backdrop of the changing 2021 economy and Brexit, that the fast track parameters to be set out will be more flexible than TPR once envisaged to allow for the majority of schemes to fall within it. TPR may not have the resources to deal with the majority of schemes entering the bespoke route and the number of schemes that could achieve the fast track route might be compromised by the state of the economy this year. In some ways, it's quite lucky that the funding code is being considered at this time. The economic backdrop of COVID-19 in particular has likely reinforced TPR's view that its funding principles need a shake up and there is a lot for TPR to weigh in this second consultation. It's going to be an interesting year. I'm now going to pass over to Doyen.
2: Thanks Caroline. As Caroline mentioned, I'm going to talk about what we can expect in the coming year in relation to consolidated vehicles, GMP equalisation and scheme investment and governance. I'll start with discussing consolidated vehicles. DB super funds are the new players in the market and they offer employers and trustees a new option for achieving good outcomes for pension savers. TPR published its guidance regarding the standards it expects super funds to meet in June last year, and there was a high bar to ensure that pension savers have confidence in these vehicles. Superfunds will have to demonstrate the ongoing adherence to TPR guidance, but initially, in order to enter into the market, they will need to be authorised through an interim process by TPR in order to start transacting. It has apparently been an immense amount of work and an, an extremely thorough process, The CEO of Clara Pension said of TPR's assessment process, you train hard to fight easy, so it's clear there is a high bar. We anticipate a number of transactions during the course of 2021 to permit the super funds to scale up quite quickly. The models are such that these vehicles won't benefit from economies of scale until they have a certain level of assets within it. So it's likely they'll take the approach, at least initially, to scale up quite quickly. It is also possible that consolidators will focus first on schemes of a certain size, then attention will be turned to smaller schemes who are the ideal targets of super funds from the industry's perspective, because they benefit the most from consolidators. So it's very much watch this space, but following this year and beyond, we would expect companies and trustees to become more comfortable with this solution as they demonstrate proof of concept, and it will soon become much more prevalent for schemes that cannot reach the funding levels required by traditional insurers. I'll now turn my attention to GMP equalisation. And the main update here is, of course, the Lloyds 3 judgment that was handed down in November 2020. More than two years after the initial decision in the Lloyds Banking Group case, it focused on past transfers of unequalised benefits and provide some further clarity in this area, which has been really helpful. The court held that where a scheme has made a statutory cash equivalent transfer, the scheme remains liable to make a correctly calculated top-up transfer payment to the receiving scheme, which includes the member's equalised GMP payment. For other non-statutory transfers and bulk transfers made in line with pension preservation law requirements, The member no longer had rights under the transferring scheme unless the member could demonstrate the trustees breached their wider duties. So over the coming year and beyond, we can expect trustees to take a lot of advice on this area. Firstly, in order to set out their position on how proactive they will be in seeking out these creditors who have historically transferred out of their schemes, it will be interesting to see if trustees take one view for members who will suffer no loss by having transferred into a receiving DB scheme which will uplift their benefits regardless of any top-up from the trustee and a different view for others. Secondly, to understand how cost and proportionality can be taken into account by trustees who feel there is no benefit to their members in correcting this long-standing issue. And lastly, consideration as to whether trustee liability insurers should be notified in respect of any potential claims that may appear as a result of this case and how that ties in with the duty to mitigate loss under the policy. Lastly, I just wanted to talk about scheme investment and governance. Over the last year, we have seen a lot of changes come into force, including changes to scheme statements of investment principles, the introduction of annual implementation statements and compliance statements. In terms of what's in the pipeline for the coming year, there are a number of developments that have currently been proposed, such as the DWP's second consultation on governance and reporting on climate change risk, The first consultation closed in October last year and involved consultation and proposals to require trustees of larger occupational pension schemes, authorised master trusts and collective money purchase schemes to have effective governance, strategy and risk management systems in place to assess and manage climate risks and to disclose these in line with the task force on climate related financial disclosure recommendations. The second consultation will cover the details of those proposed regulations. Then we have the government's response to the consultation on investment, innovation and future consolidation. This consultation is in relation to further changes to regulations and statutory guidance designed to improve DC pension scheme governance. In its response, the government has stated that where smaller DC schemes do not demonstrate value for members, trustees should take immediate steps to wind up the scheme and consolidate into a larger scheme. The regulations are set to come into force in October this year and may be further encouragement for trustees of smaller schemes to transfer into a DC master trust. So it'll be interesting to see if these regulations have that effect over the coming years. I'll now pass back to Caroline.
0: Thanks, Joanne, and thank you for joining us for the first LawCast of the Year. We hope you found it interesting and useful. There's certainly a lot to look forward to in the pensions world this year. Join us again for the next floorcast, which will focus on master trusts. If you have any questions, please do send them to us by email. Thank you for listening.